Welcome to another episode of the Deborah Health Report, where we dive into current health and medical topics to keep the Delaware Valley informed and updated. Last month, we focused on holiday healthy heart tips and how alcohol, smoking, and overeating can have negative effects on your heart health. This month, we discuss diagnosing, treating, and managing heart failure, as well as how to prevent it. Here's Rasa Kay. Hi, I'm Rasa Kay, and we're revisiting heart failure because more hearts are failing than ever. To be clear, the main reason is that we are living longer. Heart failure is most common among the elderly. But we're also living with heart failure through treatments that can let patients with even moderate heart failure live very active lives. We'll discuss all of that with cardiologist Dr. Kulpreet Barn, the director of the Heart Failure Program at Deborah. In this podcast, he explains what causes the heart muscle to weaken over time and how to sort through the grab bag of symptoms that may or may not be indicators of a heart muscle that can't meet its workload. It happens in a couple of ways. You have heard us discuss knowing your numbers in this space, and one we will talk about here is ejection fraction. It measures the pumping action of your heart when it contracts and pumps blood out into your arteries, and it distinguishes the two main types of heart failure. Reduced ejection fraction is when literally the blood is not getting ejected from the heart at the rate your body needs. It's a percentage that doctors like Dr. Barn track over time. Preserved ejection fraction occurs in the other type of heart failure when blood is getting pushed out just fine, but the heart isn't filling with blood properly. So here's part one of our latest convo with Dr. Barn on the latest intel on heart failure. Heart failure still, you know, is a growing uh, disease. It is still a fast-growing disease, and some of that is not because we're not good at what we're doing. It's because we are good at what we're doing. There are better medications. These patients are living longer. But heart failure is a, a, is a, still a big problem in the United States and around the world. Well, what is heart failure? It's not an attack. Yeah. It's a more gradual process. Well, heart failure is just as the name suggests, right? Your heart is your engine, and heart failure means when your engine fails. And any disease that will cause damage to your heart and your heart is not able to meet the demands of your body essentially leads in heart failure. So it could be diabetes, high blood pressure, certain infections, a heart attack. All these problems lead to basically damage to your heart, which leads to your heart not able to meet the demands of your body. That's essentially what heart failure is. What is happening when the heart is failing? How does it start to not meet demand? Your heart's main function is to receive oxygenated blood from your lungs, and then your heart pumps that oxygenated blood to the rest of your body, your brain, your muscles. The heart failure can be of two types. It can be when your heart is not able to pump the blood, or it could be that your heart stiffens up, it doesn't fill with blood. And that's what we call heart failure with preserved ejection fraction or uh, reduced ejection fraction. Reduced means where the pumping function is not working, whereas preserved, the pump is okay, but it doesn't fill properly because certain diseases stiffens up the heart. And when you're not able to get that blood to your body, that results in your organs not working properly, including your brain, your muscles, and the way it manifests in your body is you'll feel short of breath, uh, you'll feel tired, fatigue, your kidneys will stop working, your liver will stop working, depending on how bad your heart failure is, and that essentially is what happens. Signs and symptoms of it. I mean, can you look at somebody and say, because you do this, you know, you eat, sleep, and just live heart failure. Do you ever see somebody, you know, in a, in a store or restaurant or out in the real world and say, hmm, 
I think they ought to get. Well, you have to examine the patient. Yes, theoretically, if I saw a patient in a store and I examined them, I can figure it out. But generally speaking, the symptoms of heart failure, that's why it gets missed. It overlaps a lot with lung disease and other diseases. And generally speaking, you know, if you're short of breath, it could be from your lung problem, it could be from blood counts not being okay, or you could be out of shape. And so commonly this is, that's why heart failure is missed because we blame it on other things. Uh, an elderly patient goes to their primary doctor and they say, I'm short of breath. And they'll say, you know, you've gained some weight and, and you're, you're, that's why you may be short of breath. And that's why there could be a delay in diagnosis. So <clears throat> unfortunately, the symptoms can overlap with other things. So what I tell patients are that if there's this change in your body, that requires further workup. Regardless, right, it's not even hard for them. What if you have a lung problem? What if you have another problem? You should get yourself properly evaluated and checked out, especially if you have a change in your symptoms. If you were six months ago walking two miles a day and now you can't walk across the hallway, that's a big change. That's something that needs to be looked into. But the symptoms can overlap with lung diseases and other diseases. So I think regardless, if you're having these symptoms, you should get yourself checked out, and, and then, of course, we'll get to that diagnosis. All right, so let's talk about all these symptoms then, because some of them are, you know, how you're feeling, um, some of them are, are how you're functioning, and I guess at certain stages of heart failure, you can actually see some visual things as yes. well. So let's go through all the symptoms. Yeah, so symptoms are the, you know, generally speaking, patients will have, uh, just like we give the analogy of the engine, it's usually lack change in activity. So whatever they're doing, let's say they're walking two miles a day, now they're short of breath walking, you know, 500 feet. Uh, or your heart, remember, it's, it pumps blood to your kidneys, so your fluid regulation gets disturbed. So patients build up with fluid, so they'll have sudden weight gain. Or their legs will swell up, or their hands will swell up. Um, uh, fatigued, feeling wiped out, losing weight. Uh, because you're you're not absorbing your nutrients properly, and so all these symptoms, some patients will have all of them. Some will have some of them. Some will have one of them. Uh, but these are the kind of symptoms that should go down the pathway where you're thinking, is it the heart? So you generally speaking, when you present with these symptoms to a doctor, they'll do battery of testing, and they'll screen you for lung problems, cancer, and of course they'll screen you for heart failure, and that's how we diagnose. Are there differences between men and women in terms of the incidence of heart failure and the process of it? Yeah, so you know there are differences with how we how men and women present, and their symptoms can be different, uh, and also the type of heart failure. Females tend to present more with stiffening of the heart, whereas men present with more pumping of the heart problems. There are sexual disparities in medicine and everything, and females tend to get underdiagnosed in general uh, with everything, and, and we see that in heart failure too. So females tend to present elderly, more stiffening of the heart, and uh, whereas men present earlier in the fifth or sixth decade, and they present mostly with pumping of the heart problems. So people may have heart failure going on and they don't know about it because either they've dismissed it or they've attributed it to something else. Can you have heart failure and really be so unaware? Yeah, because, you know, a lot of times it can, and it's not the patient's fault because it happens so subtle. It'll take two years, you're right. Sometimes I'll meet patients when I talk to them, it's almost like a two, three year process before they get really sick. It'll be like, yeah, Dr. Barney, 
I three years ago I could walk three miles, but you know, last couple of years I've gone to one mile, then 500 feet, then maybe you show up to your doctor's office and your, you know, it takes it can take years for the decline to happen. So those patients are difficult to diagnose uh, because it happens so subtly and it can overlap so many things. Uh, we may blame it on deconditioning or other problems. Whereas sometimes some patients present very dramatically, where it happens within days. So those patients tend to come to the hospital and we're able to pick them up faster. It's not that people are making mistakes, it's, it's the nature of the heart failure and, and how the symptoms overlap with other diseases that it can easily be misdiagnosed. All right, so heart failure though doesn't happen in a vacuum. You, it can happen quickly, as you said, but what are the most common conditions that would lead to heart failure? Well, common conditions for chronic, which means over the years, is uncontrolled diabetes, blood pressure, cholesterol, social habits like smoking, heavy alcohol use, or you're exposed to certain infections and chemotherapy. Those patients can suffer from heart failure over the years. But sometimes some patients may have a dramatic event happen, like Sunday night they go to bed and then Monday they have a big heart attack. So that can happen within 48 hours. Or they develop an infection or some sort of inflammation very, that happens within the course of days and weeks. So they can have symptoms happen very quickly. So, but generally speaking, it's a long-term process. The most common cause in the United States for heart failure is blockages, heart blockages, high blood pressure, diabetes. Those are your most common causes. And they don't damage the heart overnight. It's uh, over the course of years and decades. Now, diabetes, the incidence of heart failure is four times higher for people mm -hmm. with type 1 or type 2 diabetes than the general population. So what is the, the process in diabetes that leads to this? Yeah, so it's a complicated process, but some of the high-level high things are diabetes leads to blockages in the arteries, which decreases blood supply to the heart. Diabetes also affects the small vessels of your body. Think of it like your street and driveways. Your street is your blood vessel, and the driveways are your small blood vessels. And it can cause blockages in those blood vessels over time and decrease oxygen. It causes an increased inflammation in your body, and that can also affect your heart. So diabetes can damage your heart in multiple ways. Control of your diabetes is very important. So if you get diagnosed with diabetes, one of the best ways to prevent heart failure is to get your diabetes under control. And, and in 2023, with a lot of technology and uh, medications we have, uh, getting your diabetes in, under control has become a lot easier than let's say compared to 30, 40 years ago. So what are the stages of heart failure? You know, we talk that sometimes you just don't even know it. So sure. is that like a stage zero? What, what, how do you stage So it? we stage heart failure like um, stage A through D. Um, a, it's A, B, C, D, and A is someone who's at risk for heart failure. For example, that 45-year-old whose blood pressure is high, they don't go to the doctor's office, maybe they smoke a little bit, they're at risk for having heart failure. That's called stage A. These are the people you want to <clears throat> give us some religion. Yes, these are the people that we can you know, avoid this if we get those things under control. And stage B is they're starting to have damage to the heart, they just don't know it yet their heart muscles getting weaker or getting stiffened and they don't know yet. Stage C is where they have both, where the heart is damaged and they're starting to have symptoms. And stage D is that they're not responding to any kind of medications and treatments and you have to start thinking about 
taking the bad heart out and putting a new one in. It's called heart transplant. Or we put a cyst device called a left ventricular cyst device or a pacemaker uh, to assist them. That's usually the last stage of heart failure. So stage A is early on. Stage day D is when the heart muscle uh, needs aggressive therapies. Are there typical age ranges for these stages? Yeah, generally speaking, heart failure is a disease of the elderly. As you go into the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth decade, the heart failure incidence goes up. But of course, I do this for a living. I see 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds, but it is a disease of the elderly. Uh, most of my patients are elderly. Uh, and uh, so yes, it's as you go into your fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth decade, and because you know these, they all live together, right? High blood pressure, diabetes, and heart failure. So as you get older, you get high blood pressure, diabetes, and and that's why heart failure sort of goes along uh, uh, into your later decades of your life. So how do you? diagnose it ultimately? What's your process? Yes, yeah, so once you have the symptoms and uh, you come to a doctor and uh, one of the ways we diagnose this is physical examination, talking to you and we get suspicious, then we examine you. There's certain physical exam parameters and if our index of suspicion is high, then we move on to testing. And the first basic testing is blood work uh, where we check your you know, end organ function. We'll check for certain biomarkers. Uh, that help us uh, get more suspicious. And then then the final step is some sort of imaging, taking pictures of the heart. And uh, that's really where we, it helps us diagnose with an echocardiogram, where we take special pictures of the heart with an ultrasound. That can be done at throughout the country. It's very cheap and quick. It doesn't hurt you in any way. It's an ultrasound. It's available almost, you know, every, every major... Oh, you know, cardiology practice in the country has this capability. So it can be diagnosed in any community in the United States. So my understanding of, of heart failure is being kind of this mechanical process that, that it's not pumping properly or it's getting stiff. But when you talk about blood work, it's like sensitive blood work looking for biomarkers. So, you know, what kind of biomarkers are you going to find if there's mechanical issues going on? So what ends up happening is when you have uh, damage to your heart, your body has a natural process to address it. It tries to address it. So when your heart muscle stretches, certain hormones are released. Those biomarkers are not, we call them biomarkers, but they're supposed to do things in your body to counterbalance the heart damage. So that's an indirect way of knowing if the heart is getting damaged. So those biomarkers are not, that's not all we look at, that's an indirect sort of uh, way of saying, hey, something may be going on in the heart. Uh, it could happen from other reasons too. So, so these biomarkers are really uh, uh, what we say stretch hormones. When the heart stretches or there's some sort of uh, inflammation in the heart, uh, these hormones are released. And when we do blood work, they generally tend to tell you that there's something going on in the heart but they're not, um, that's not all we do. We also double check with the images of the heart as well. So the blood work is, uh, gives us a, a suspicion, but you have to confirm that suspicion with the ultrasound of the heart. Is that the kind of blood test that, that would let you stumble on potential heart failure going mm -hmm. on in somebody? So, I mean, th that, that kind of sensitive test, yeah. you, you might order that for somebody who isn't complaining with anything that might seem like heart failure, but it's like, by the way, we found this in your blood work. We yeah. need to look at you first. Absolutely. If you, have a, if you have that abnormality, you should definitely move on with an imaging of the heart uh, because you have to make sure that there's no damage to the heart.
So this could, you could be ordered a blood panel for something else and this could come up. Yeah, generally speaking, if you go to your primary doctor, you tell them you're short of breath, it was a battery of testing. And most doctors will order some sort of a chest X-ray to look at your lungs. They'll do blood work to check your blood counts. And they'll order some biomarkers for heart. And then depending on what you see, then you move on to the next phase of testing. So there would be a reason to, to yes, order that blood work, usual. all right. That's cardiologist Dr. Kulpreet Barn, the director of the Heart Failure Program at Dabora. Join us next month for more, including treating and living with heart failure and the ways to strengthen any heart muscle. That pod drops the first Wednesday of the month. I'm Rasa Kay. You can always listen to all of the informative Deborah Doctor interviews at DeborahHealthReport.com. Schedule an appointment at demanddeborah.org.